0: My name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of our program may know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to be joined on today's show by Michael Bond. Michael, very warm welcome to yourself. And by all means, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you, Scott.
1: Um, I hope... What uh, I have to say will be appreciated by uh, everyone, wide and far, and I hope I can contribute to uh, to their work and what they're trying to do in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just for those uh, listeners that might not be familiar with uh, Michael and the work that he's doing, um, he's the owner and founder of two businesses. Um, one of those is um, inter uh, B2B business, um, international financial East Crow merchant account service, Sterling Bond. And the other, of course, is Rumbler Cars, a company which masterminded the design concept for high performance luxury sports car, the Rumbler Sport Tank. So a lot of variety, I think it's fair to say. Um, but may- perhaps you could so kind of expand on that a little bit more for us, Michael, and talk a little bit more about your specialism and sort of how you got to where you are today
1: um interesting question it's a kind of question i get asked when i attend a lot of networking events what do you do they yeah. say and i say well at the moment what i'm doing is i'm designing a high performance luxury supercar called the rubber sport tank inspired by the batmobile the idea being to provide a, a luxury product of the highest sophistication to demonstrate the excellence of british science and technology engineering and along the way reach out to millionaires and billionaires who i hope will become our customers for this limited edition supercar as a way to network with them to tap into the international finance community the international network of finance that's out there as a way to draw thousands of millions of pounds into the uk high technology economy so yes i'm building a sports car i'm also trying to build a financial network of contacts around the world linking to the financial banking system Uh, As a sideline, I have interest in architecture, design, urban planning, I write short stories and film scripts and uh, even the fashion industry is something I'm touching on and at that point they always say, oh right, you're a polymath. (laughs) (laughs) And um, basically that is what I do. I have a very broad picture of the world of science, technology, economics, the history of this country, how we've got to where we are today and how we can answer many of the great challenges and also solving technology and engineering challenges, like how do you make the Batmobile for real and how do you make it fun for everyone to enjoy? And then, of course, the financial side, how do you make it tax-efficient and financially efficient for the super rich to acquire it as a way to get cash flowing into and through the UK economy? And that's just a little taste of what I do.
0: And did you always see yourself sort of uh, being active on so many different fronts then? Was it quite obvious early on in your career that sort of going into leadership for yourself, running your own businesses, that was going to be your pathway?
1: Kind of. Um, It started with me, I would say, being, you could say, a teenage crank inventor and creator, always wanting to write short stories, uh, innovate designs, technology. It's that sort of thing which drew me in. And as I began to learn more and more about it i realized that it was essential for me to create my own businesses because i was creating new kinds of business vision which were distinct from if you like the way conventional or traditional business was operating so for example going back to my interest in the film industry many many years ago um i began to realize that i had a vision for big bold ideas i even negotiated with the bbc on one project kind of still got the tentative rights to develop that somewhere along the line, but began to realize that there was no serious major film production or entertainment company in this country. So I thought, okay, I'll go into the film industry. And then I realized there was no money. So, okay, I'll go into finance, international finance and banking and learn more about that side of it. And it's how things flow through 20, 30, 40 years of experience. It began, I began to learn more and more about myself and how, there are it's like gaps within our systems which meant it was no it wasn't possible for me to work with traditional or existing business because i thought i could create innovative new models and that is how you could say i became a leader in those areas innovating new structures innovating new answers to challenging questions like well you know how do you design and build and sell a supercar and how do you solve climate change well you build a supercar and sell it to the super rich and use their money to solve climate change and then embed all the technology in the car and that sounds a bit circular but um, that is the way my brain works that's the polymath brain uh, working full tilt bringing several different sectors into solving and tracking one very large problem so yeah scott it's a, a very long-winded and roundabout route to get there but it's where i am today
0: but it's fantastic isn't it sort of um, it, constant innovation like that I mean you seek, you're seeking to do one thing you find that there's gaps and then what you're trying to do is essentially fill the gaps as you're going along um, and make solutions for them and that's maybe the kind of thinking that perhaps some may say we need to see more of in the national leadership, um, and and certainly at policy level, because a lot's been made of the uh, the current economic situation and the impact that that's been having on business, and the impact that it's inevitably going to have on the uh, the national populace because um, of the uh, the autumn statement coming up. So. Thinking about kind of national leadership as a whole, I mean, do you think there's a lot that they can learn from business and the way that it sets about dealing with issues?
1: Um, I could give you about a dozen examples, if I may. Let's start with one. Uh, When he was uh, Prince of Wales, our now King Charles said, if you're going to solve climate change, you have to talk to the private sector Mm. because while government talks in billions, the private sector deals in trillions. And I know that from my own experience. I mean, I can't go into a great deal. I won't claim to be a professional high-level banker and financier. I've worked on the fringes and in certain very unique areas. And even there, I've touched upon those trillions. There is a huge amount of capital out there. But when you look at um, the current state of government and even the nature of government in this country, um, I've begun to realize over the last 20-odd years that, the way the British system works is quite quite distinct and has sort of areas of weakness or areas of strength depending on how you want to look at it. As I say, King Charles was saying the private sector can bring in trillions, the public sector can only deal with in billions, and the government itself is constrained to some extent by the very nature of government and constitution- constitutional government within the U.K., um, for example, um, yesterday the Chancellor says that he's going to have to increase tax or taxes are going to have to go up to bail out the country regarding obviously the enormous crises we've gone through over the last two or three years. And I'm saying no mate, there's actually an answer. There is potentially hundreds of thousands of millions, possibly trillions of pounds that can be mobilized. And if I can build a bridge I can actually bring that into the treasury and drop a check in in the post tomorrow <laughs> of course that would require an awful lot of people opening up an awful lot of doors to get to that point but um, there are gaps in the system where if they can be bridged we can actually build a more prosperous and more innovative society and that is in one sense, part of my overall long-term strategy. As I say when going back to the Rumble Sport Tank, that was not only a way for me to solve climate change by embedding new environmentally efficient technology in the car, but a way for me to prove my capabilities, both on the technology level, designing the car, and on the financial level in terms of reaching out to millionaires and billionaires to bring their cash into the UK. The problem is that that could take a decade to do that properly, clearly, and professionally, at least to the standards that I set. At the same time, right now, we have a massive crisis facing this country, a crisis, which is gonna get worse over winter. And if I can find, say, the support of MPs, the support of cabinet, I may be able to, as it were, jumpstart that system much more quickly and do it in days or even weeks rather than years. And that would require uh, almost like a leap of faith um, on their side, but the money's there there is sufficient cash in the private sector, but when it comes to, as it were, uh, the leadership within government, they're actually constrained by the situation, the bureaucratic, the political, the constitutional, and the financial situation that they face, which means that they alone can't solve it. What they need is a wildcard. They need someone to come in and, as I say, open the pipelines to the real cash. And if they permit me to do so, I can open those pipelines today. And theoretically, the crisis that we're fearing over the winter will not happen. Whether or not I can convince them is entirely a different matter. And I'm hoping anyone out there listening to this today can help me try and convince them, can help me get the word out, and we'll try and move as quickly as possible. If not, I'll go back and do the supercar, and, and we'll do it eventually, and I will deliver those results. And we will see a kind of renaissance to the UK economy because this country has enormous scientific, industrial and economic potential if it's unleashed. I mean, I was reflecting on the last hundred years and how time and time again, scientists, innovators, entrepreneurs came up with visionary ideas to revolutionize our economy You put know, the achievements. From, say, the 1930s onwards, and you see fantastic talent in aerospace industry, the railway industry, the computer industry, invention of radar, atomic power. I mean, Britain was the country which had the world's first civilian nuclear power plant. And then we basically abandoned the nuclear power industry, which right now we desperately need to solve the energy crisis. Mm. There is a vast amount of talent and a vast amount of capability out there. The government wants it. The people want it but we need to bridge that gap we need to in a way to bridge the three-sided gap between the science capabilities the finance that's sitting out there in the system and as it were the political and public need and that is where you will find me as it were in the middle with my if I, again going back to my polymath mind mm-hmm. looking at all the different ways all those different sectors can be bridged and brought together for everyone's benefit so that's my uh, manifesto statement
0: for today. <laughs> yeah, and um, how is it that we kind of got to the point where this solution is needed, do you think? Do you think it's sort of silo thinking in a way? There's a lot of bureaucracy in the political system and there's maybe that sort of disconnect between them and the private sector?
1: Um, in a sense, yes. <clears throat> As I was saying earlier, um, in a sense the political system is is constrained by its own regulatory limitations and to some extent by its own ideology or how ideologically it interprets the regulatory situation. The private sector is very capable of delivering it, but even even the private sector is to some extent constrained um, by its own limitations. Very many in the private sector are still doing, in a sense, what the public sector is doing, which is short-term thinking. They're thinking um, where, where the political sector is constrained by the need to think about elections every day three, four, five years, depending on what mood the Prime Minister is in, um, the private sector is constrained somewhat by the need to think about the financial demands of its shareholders and the banks who are obviously demanding their immediate return. And so while the scientists, the engineers, the innovators, the entrepreneurs like me can look 20, 50, or 100 years into the future, they can't. So... There is a need for another agency, in a sense. Uh, if I, um, I won't say a third sector because that's a voluntary sector. There is a need for, in a sense, a fourth sector in our economy, which I've termed the, the sovereign sector, which, um, a bit like King Charles, thinks long-term, large-scale. And that is where there's a way to bring innovators like me in to act on that very, very high level and help them see past their own short-term limitations and that's not a reflection on saying that they are limited it's a reflection on the fact that they are in a sense constitutionally legally or financially limited by what they can do what they're empowered to do and what they have to do and to some extent you could say that they're overburdened by that and overburdened by the sheer crises that we're facing right now and we obviously know about brexit we know about at the bombs in the bombs in Ukraine and the bug going around—that's um, that would overpower almost anyone. Even I sometimes scratch my head as to how I would have dealt with that uh, in their shoes. But long term, there are answers, and long term, it is possible to mobilise resources. Um, you, you were talking there uh, a moment ago about them uh, as it were being trapped in their own little pigeonholes, their own little boxes, as it were. And uh, people like me, we to think outside the box, or so in my universe, there is no box. But I was reflecting on this uh, and the limitations of um, high-level management as opposed to leadership recently when I read about uh, the failure of the Ministry of Defence with their Ajax-like tech projects now they wanted a new light tank for the british army so they worked with well-established companies and suppliers to provide it and you've got highly sophisticated capable engineers and designers in large manufacturing companies tier one companies and you've got highly sophisticated managers and developers in the ministry of defense making a long list of you know their wish list and they spend decades designing and building this tank spending five thousand four hundred million pounds and it's so badly designed that the crew have to get out every 90 minutes to take a rest because it's that noisy, and it clatters around the battlefield. They've now abandoned the project. Uh, and I was reflecting on some of the you know, ideas I sketched up years ago for a new kind of light tank for the British Army. So I said, I could do that job half the price and get it done and built by now. And in a sense, they were doing the job very well. They were doing a sophisticated management job they were doing a sophisticated engineering job but the end product was wrong there was no leader in charge as it were, smacking heads together and saying you're getting it wrong guys stop now and do it in a different way i'll just rip the whole thing up and get it right and you were saying you know people are constrained and in a sense, that's one of the roles of leadership to be able to smack people's heads together and say look this is wrong this is seriously going astray you need to get back on track And it's like uh, being the captain of a ship and knowing the course and knowing the destination and and pointing out that the ship's heading towards an iceberg and you might wanna change course quickly. But at the moment, with so much management around, um, you end up with large-scale catastrophes because there is no one who knows enough about the job to be able to sit and view downwards on the whole project. You've got so many people and so many committees all doing their own part of the job and no one's sitting back and saying, yes, you've got a nice new tank, and it's very heavy, and the suspension doesn't work, and you could have to get out for a rest every 20 or 30 40 minutes because it's that noisy. And I'm sure you know of, of scores of examples uh, of this kind of situation where things have just been allowed to, to go off course. and No one's got the job done because there's no one in charge uh, of doing that big picture. Uh, in a sense the government have the same problem today um, they're desperately thrashing around in the water pleading for help and yet they're not necessarily open or it doesn't seem at times that they're open to any outside voice coming in I think maybe for fear of losing their jobs so I could easily reach out to the Chancellor and say listen mate you know I can write you a check that could solve the entire financial crisis you're facing right now, Question is, will you listen? And could I reach him? Is he too trapped and too tied down in his own system that it's not possible for um, an outside voice to be heard? And there is a sense, and many people have expressed this, a sense that there is a need for some kind of outside voice to be able to speak from on high, as it were, or speak from... Uh, from a side as a, uh, like an advisor to come in and say, "Listen, I can bridge that gap. I can actually find ways to go out and get that solution that you're looking for that you can't see because you're trapped in your situation."
0: Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's um, there's a couple of key things to take from that, and one of those for me is the um, the obvious lack of oversight that you perceive within leadership in a lot of quarters, and I think there is a lot of good examples of that. And um, that's something incredibly important um, to uh, to consider. Oversight is so, so important within leadership. And when we have such a sort of a comprehensive team of different managers doing different things, there needs to be some oversight to make sure that, you know, it's not silo thinking and that there is actually some real cohesion between sort of different aspects. And um, the other thing as well uh, that you touched on, which uh, I found really interesting, and it has come upon the show before, incidentally, is short-termist thinking. And in the political system, you can understand why that's there, because we're thinking in parliaments, we're thinking in four or five year cycles, we're not setting our successes up to succeed. And I think in a way, um, as good as some of our fantastic sort of uh, government programs to support innovations are, such as Innovate UK, I think they are sort of almost falling victim to the same thing, in a sense. I mean, uh, they are short termist intensive support to try and get innovations off the ground. But that longer lasting legacy program, the softer touch stuff to make sure there's longevity there and it, to help it develop. That seems to be lacking a bit, doesn't it? And that's why sometimes we don't keep some of our best innovations in the UK. And we often see some very promising businesses being absorbed by um, those that sit in Silicon Valley or in China, for instance.
1: Well, definitely. Um, it, it, it's a combination of short-term thinking um, driven by political requirements and political demands and also failure of capital. Uh, As I was saying, there is trillions of pounds out there in the private sector. I mean, I was speaking to the Bank of England just before COVID hit on my overall strategy and the the action plan I'd created to create a kind of hyper-stimulus for the economy. They confirmed to me that there's, you know, 5 million, million pounds of credit not used in this country. Let alone, I mean, I've identified maybe 20 million, million in the international banking and finance system. In a way, this is one of the reasons why I designed the Rumbler sport Tank as a way to reach out to millionaires and billionaires to start plugging in to that sector. Um, that's part of my overall strategy, to find ways to plug into the, bank, the banking and financial system because there is an ocean of capital out there that can be tapped into if we can find a way to build the pipelines into it and then channel those pipelines safely into the UK and then safely into the right kind of innovation. Now there are agencies, Innovate UK you mentioned, um, I'm looking at the Ministry of Defence for all their project support, because of obviously the Ukraine crisis, they're now starting to flush more and more cash into the system. But even they're going to be limited to some extent by the internal constraints that they have. As I say, with the Ajax project being a really great example of how they were they were trapped in their own little boxes, and um, they wouldn't necessarily be open to the kind of innovations that I could offer them. Um, Going back to Innovate UK, for example, they're quite keen on um, carbon neutral, uh, carbon zero, net zero um, transport and transport technologies. Well, my my supercar project would do that, but it doesn't hit the box because it's not battery technology. It's a hybrid power system which will eventually lead to synthetic fuel technologies, which could then lead to a major export industry in engine technology, hybrid fuel, and synthetic fuel, uh, and hybrid uh, and hydrogen fuel cells they don't actually fit the boxes of Innovate UK. So this is where there does need to be um, a broader and long-term strategic innovative capability, but I don't necessarily think it can come from within the traditional banking and finance sector Mm -hmm. in the private side or the government sector. And this is why I've been kind of mulling over this idea that maybe I should if you like, um, formalise my vision as the fourth sector, that, that innovation sector for the long term. We do need long-term visionary planning in this country. We used to have it, and we have had it from time to time. But again, you, you can trace the underlying structure of British society and how is it evol- how it, it has evolved over the last thousand years, if you really want to go back in history and see how... Our institutions have evolved in quite a unique way, as very well demonstrated by uh, the Queen's funeral. No one else in the world could have pulled that one off. And um, we've got this massive weight of history and this massive weight of institutional organisation that is quite unique. And when we talk about fractures and flaws and limitations in the system, part of it is the way that system exists, and part of it is the way the way it's like gaps have built up. Between the different sectors and between different ways of doing things. I know that the government would like to see more involvement by the private sector to solve some of these problems, but the private sector, as we've both discussed, cannot really handle the long term. So there has to be a new kind of private sector, a, a new aspect to the private sector, and an aspect to the public sector, which can do very, very long term thinking. And that's the kind of agency I've been trying to formulate. And that's the kind of offer I've been trying to put forward either through my very big financial vision, which can be delivered quite quickly, or through my supercar project, which lays down the foundations for creating that as a private sector, which can then lead eventually to that public sector delivery.
0: Mm. And it's an incredible vision, isn't it? A whole new fourth sector, a whole new system to really back innovation and unlock the potential of the country. And uh, it's fascinating to uh, to certainly hear more about it. And it's certainly something that maybe sort of a few months or even a year or so down the line, Mark, I'd love to catch up with you on and just see exactly where progress is on really trying to sort of bang the drum on this. Because I can imagine that hopefully, um, sort of maybe a year from now, say we were to catch up on the show, your ambition is to really hope to have got this off the ground. Somewhat.
1: Um, yeah, I've got, I've got basically two strands to my bowl. Um The first would be to reach out to members of parliament and the political system and say, listen, guys, if you really need a solution, we can sit down and talk. I can take you through the big vision that I'm aiming at long term. I can show you how I can bring the money in. And if you're prepared to take a leap of faith and trust me, and I can obviously try and demonstrate much more of my, my abilities in that field then we can start signing off on the deals. And on the simplest level, that is just exchanging a few sheets of paper, a few agreements and contracts, and then the cash will start to flow almost instantly on that basis. That will be one um, possible course of action over the next weeks, months, year, the next year. The other strategy will be to reach out to anyone who is interested in the private sector finance who would love to share in my supercar project. Coming from that, get that rolling as quickly as possible. And then once that is on the road, we'll start reaching out to the millionaires, the billionaires, the private sector funding, the international finance, international banking sectors, and plug all that together. And then I will be able to come back to probably the next set of politicians, in the next government, in four or five years' time, and say, there's the solution is now ready for you. So I would love to do a quick solution. Um, if I can win the right kind of approvals and support. Otherwise, I've got the longer term, longer solution, which is now rolling, which will begin rolling soon. So, yeah, in a year's time, things can change dramatically.
0: Well, let's hope certainly we do see some uh, significant progress on that. And if it is going to be the long haul, it's going to be the long haul. But there's certainly a great yeah. vision there in the uh, the making, Michael. And I do wish you all the luck in the world in really um, implementing that to the best possible effect. Because, like I say, anything where we can really unlock the full potential of this country is incredibly exciting. And um, just for listeners that may be tuning into the, uh, the programme, if you do have anything to say about Michael's idea, you can contact us directly. That would be via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us or if you have your own perspective to bring to the discussion table on this and you run a business or an organisation of your own um, you can also apply to be on our programme just so you know via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and that's certainly something worth looking at um, for now I have to say Michael thanks ever so much for taking the time to join us on the uh, the programme to talk through your vision and your solution there and your sort of take on the, uh, the economy at the moment it's been absolutely fascinating and really eye-opening for myself and I'm sure the listeners share that sentiment and I'd certainly love to discuss this again and just see hopefully um how far it's got off the ground in the time between our discussions okay look
1: forward to it scott see you later yeah likewise
0: michael it's been brilliant welcoming you on and i do hope that everybody as well has thoroughly enjoyed the interview today just as much as i have um as always i've been your host scott challoner on today's episode of the leaders council podcast talking all things current affairs and innovation today and until next time do take care all and goodbye